Good morning, everybody. Today is episode two of the Bottom Rock podcast. I wanted to explain the Bottom Rock for a couple minutes. The Bottom Rock is peaceful. It's the descent to the bottom that's the challenge. It's tough to go backwards. In my career, I've been able to be privileged enough to work with professional athletes, artists, executives, homeless people, every age, every demographic from across the world. And I can have the opportunity when I'm treating somebody whether they come in for physical pain, emotional pain, or looking for uh, performance exercises, it is the descent that's the challenge. It's the rehab process that's the challenge. It's the hard work going back up the mountain that's the challenge. But on the bottom rock, it's peaceful. On the top, it's also peaceful. There's a nice view, you can see the city, you can see the landscape. You have a clear vision of where you've been and what the journey has been. And then likewise on the bottom, you are at rest, you are intaking the environment and you're recovering. So I just wanted to share with you today a little bit of history of myself and over time what I will be doing is interviewing people. I've already lined up a few people um, to share their stories and the goal is to provide inspiration on a different platform just as there are millions of these different channels uh, just to share my story. It's a bit therapeutic for me, and the goal is to um, help provide for others so that there's a little golden nugget in each episode so that they may take that with them and help them during a difficult time, and so that they might find one of those virtues that we need to discover when we're on that bottom rock. So a bit about me. When I finished the naturopathic college program in Toronto, I decided that I wanted to move to Vancouver. And I had done that. The tipping point was December 2013, when my brother and I were sitting in a garage in the home rental. And we had to build a little fire and sit in the canoe because of the ice storm of December 2013. It was minus 32 to minus 36. I think it even got to minus 38. It doesn't really feel different at that range. The running water that we had in the house so the pipes wouldn't freeze froze out of the taps. All the grocery stores were closed. Canadian Tire was closed, 
And because of the ice dripping down over the engine of the vehicle, a 2002 Trailblazer that I had been driving at the time, the thermostat gasket and another gasket on the engine froze and broke. So we had no place to go. Our parents were up in Ottawa. Uh, the hotels were, were full. There was 250,000 people, customers from Toronto Hydro who were without service. So we weren't alone. But in this garage, cooking chili out of a can on this little open pit, it was the deciding factor of I'm moving to Vancouver. Because on my phone I had checked the weather and it was like plus 12 and sunny that day. So May the 4th, I pack up the vehicle. My brother's helping me pack up the vehicle. I, I'm set to drive across Canada. I had my dog Dexter at the time who was a, a Bernese mountain dog. Uh, he recently passed a few months ago. Um, and I also had two cats, Pino and Checker Pants. So I put them, I, I put them on a leash and I allowed, and I had a litter box in a tire so that it wasn't moving so they could sit on top of this domed litter box. The leash was tied to a dumbbell so they couldn't get all the way to the front and distract driving. I could keep the windows open. And then Dex was also kind of able to roam around a little bit. And then I was pulling this trailer that I had bought that I planned to sell and make a little bit of money when I moved back, uh, moved out west. So we're driving the first day, was driving 12 hours to Marathon, Ontario. And the hotel, uh, when I got to the hotel to book in, there was a giant fishing tournament at the time, so it was all full. Called around a couple other hotels, they were all full as well. Ended up sleeping in the parking lot that night. Moved Dex to the front, and he was a soldier. He stood up on guard. It was pretty funny. He stood up on guard, sat up, and just continued to keep watch. I've never seen him do that before, but he kind of knew the assignment. He kept watch of the vehicle the entire night while I tried to get a few hours of rest. Uh, I just curled up into a blanket in the back and we ended up getting up around 4.30 that morning and continuing to drive. And that day we drove 19 hours to Regina where we got this little motel that said no smoking sign on the front door, walked into the room, just completely filled of the smell of smoke, put the pets in, unloaded a few valuables, and then went across the street about 11 p.m., ordered a pizza, uh, and then just kind of sat there kind of watching everybody. It was, it was quite a quite a scene in late night Regina nightlife. And then the following day, got up early again, drove to Banff, and then last day drove to Deep Cove 
uh, as I had a rental basement in Deep Cove, just uh, on the North Shore. So that was the trip. Overall, pretty uneventful, pretty easygoing, uh, grateful for that. But when I left Toronto, I had a number of people who said they were going to help fund the, the development of a healthcare clinic. We had been talking for months. We had contracts, we had agreements. These were people that I had spent a significant number of hours over lunches, dinners, business development, treatments with people had vetted the process and they had promised to send money. They, so I was supposed to be getting about $30,000 to help build the business. I had already put down the deposit on a clinic space at the corner of Howe and Hastings. And my goal then when I would arrive would be set up seminars. It was all planned out. Seminars, uh, getting to larger groups, the running clubs, uh, performance medicine, uh, performance nutrition. And uh, I had been previously working in uh, professional sports where I was equipped to, to take care of people this way and help support their, their athletic endeavors with this and their rehab endeavors with this. So I had a successful client base in Toronto and I moved to Vancouver thinking we could replicate this and believing that I had the support of this investment money. The first few days into Vancouver, I had to travel around everywhere I drove with this trailer. And because the landlord didn't want me to park the trailer in front of his house on this tiny little street in Deep Cove with nothing else around, no more than 12 neighbors. And he just, he just wouldn't let me park the trailer because he didn't like the look of the trailer on the street. And I said, well, I'm looking to sell it. I've got the ad already posted. And he said, too bad, I, you need to drive it around. So I did that for about three days, driving around Spanish banks, kits, just with this trailer everywhere. It's pretty funny. Tough to park, but pretty funny. And um, the last thing I had to unload was this two-shelf filing cabinet that I went to buy. And I had an ad that was responded to. And the guy said, okay, I'll pay you $1,100 for this trailer. And I'd been still waiting now, like emailing and calling and texting these people who said they were going to give me the money. So I pull up to the clinic space. It's just before 5 p.m. Pull up on how I jump up into the trailer and all of a sudden, <laughs> I just feel something snap. So I get out of the trailer, I look under, the axle's broken. And I call, no. Call my dad. He says, yeah, that's probably going to be about $1,000 to fix, but call the welder. Call the welder. I call the welder. He confirmed it's going to be about $1,000 to fix. And I call him. I got this guy I'm supposed to meet in two to a couple hours to sell him the trailer. Call him. Sorry, do you want to take the trailer for less? He says, no, thanks. 
So I wheel the trailer into the alleyway behind the building, take out the, take off the license plate. I didn't know what to do at that point. I was going to get a tow truck uh, and then took the filing cabinet out. I go to the bank, check my bank account balance. I had $172 left because I had just paid the deposit. I just paid the deposit on like BC Hydro, bought a number of supplies to get going. It's expensive to move across the country so and start something new. So there's always those deposits on new accounts that you have to open up. Had $172 left. Next few hours I spent furiously calling everybody and these individuals said, you know what, I've been thinking about it, sorry to do this to you, hopefully no one else backs out, but I'm going to keep my money. Um, but if you ever come back to Toronto, like, I'm here to support you. So there I am, that was one of the bottom rocks at the time. And I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this money? How am I going to pay my bills? Because I've only got a about 20 days left to for the next deposit, for the next rent to come out. We got my home rent, my business rent now. I'm in a place where I know very few people in this city. What am I gonna do? And I was determined to stay here. I did not want to go back to the ice storm. I didn't want to go back to the cold. I love the mountains. I love the ocean. I love the freedom of the city. It had a very nice vibe to it. So I took my aeroplane miles. Flew back to Toronto that weekend and then saw about 60 people that weekend. So I built up enough money to pay for my rent. Came back, went to Home Depot, bought wood, built my own stand-up desk, tall desk, built a bench and a couple other things in the office to make it look decent, make it look kind of artesian, uh, stained everything. I just worked during the night so I wasn't disruptive uh, to the people next door. And then just kept hustling, trying to get people into the clinic. That was By that time it was June. I had one person that entire month. Like, oh my god, what am I going to do? Flew back to Toronto, saw another group of people over three days, came back, had some more rent and ability to pay rent that month. And got into July, I had three people that month. Like, oh my God, I'm going to die out here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm getting worried now. Am I going to have to keep going back and forth to Toronto? Why can't I get people in for treatment? Everybody's got people already they've set up. What, what, what am I missing here? So at this time, I thought, you know what? I'm so determined, but I'm going to need a, a part-time job uh, just to gain some income. And it's going to maybe take some time to get some income. So I started on Craigslist and Indeed, and I just sat there for a few hours every day, just applying for every single position I could see. And then I found this job at the Burquitlam Family Funeral Home that paid $67 an hour. Thought, wow, that's a pretty good gig in terms of the hourly rate. What are the qualifications? And 
the qualifications were that you had to have a diploma or be in school for uh, assistant funeral home director or funeral services and be comfortable uh, in this kind of position. So I thought, you know what, might as well just throw it in a uh, resume. Put it in. I got the I got the interview. It was for the following week. And that weekend again, flew back to Toronto, treated some more people, and I had landed uh, like early Sunday morning back back in Vancouver. I come downtown, wanted to do some paperwork and receipts. Just pull over at the side of the road. It's like a Sunday, like quite early, like eight, nine a.m. And then I'm I'm up in the office for no more than half an hour. Go back downstairs, and the trailblazer was broken into. My suitcase was stolen. All my suits were stolen. All my dress clothes were stolen. Um, some of the money was stolen. My wallet was stolen. Like, oh my god! Like, I had never lived. I had been living in Toronto for quite some time, and I had never had my vehicle broken into once. But Vancouver now, after living here for almost nine years, I've been broken into eight times. And anyone who lives in or around Vancouver knows that this is just a, a thing that happens here to almost everybody. But as a newcomer, I was not aware of this. So here I am trying to figure out what to do to get dressed up for this interview in a couple of days. And I remember this guy that I had um, met a few times, Matt Duca. Uh, he was about my size. Uh, he was, and give him a call. He say, "Hey, can I borrow? Do you have a suit? Do you have a black suit?" He says, "Yeah, man. Whatever you need. Why someone died? Sorry about that." I said, "Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Someone died. Yeah. I just need a, a suit for the funeral home." Didn't want to tell him because he knew I did treatment. Didn't want to tell him like, I was getting a part. I was trying to get a part-time job at a funeral home. So I wore the suit. I'm in the interview, and they're like, "Well, how do you know you can deal with uh, with death and people and this kind of thing?" I said, "Well, while in my last year of high school, grade 13 or OAC, I volunteered at a, at the Queen's University Cadaver Lab uh, because." I was worried about going into college and failing and not um, understanding anatomy fast enough. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to work ahead. I'm going to volunteer after school just to try to learn by osmosis, cleaning, cleaning the, the rooms and, and helping anywhere I could. So I had some exposure. And on another episode, I'll get into that wild experience at 17 years old. So, luckily, I got the job. Great. Now I have some steady income. And here I am now. Funerals are either at 9 a.m. or 1 p.m. This place is in Burquitlam, uh, which is between Burnaby and Coquitlam on North Road. Then I'm living in Deep Cove and my office is downtown. So there's a lot of driving around. I had the dog. I had the two cats. Letting the pets out. Trying to kind of just get around. It, it was pretty hectic for a bit. 
So I'd either work the 9 a.m. funeral or the 1 p.m. funeral, and I would alternate. So if I was at the 9 a.m. funeral that afternoon, I would go back to the office, go back to calling people, knocking on doors, setting up seminars, or the opposite. Changing out of these, like this black suit that I continued to borrow um, or delay giving back for the funerals. Finally got, after the first paycheck, got enough money to buy a new suit uh, and just wore the same dress shirt over and over again. And still struggled. July, August, by August, I still only had eight clients the entire month, eight appointments, eight different people, but eight appointments. And so money was tight. My aeroplane miles had run out. Last minute flights to Toronto was like over a thousand dollars. So now I'm kind of getting more and more stuck into this position, getting this descent. This descent is stressful. Sweating at night, wanting to get into the vices, wanting to drink, wanting to just eat chips, wanting to just run away, not wanting to, like, just trying to figure this stuff out. Figuring out, like, how am I going to pay for these pets? Do I, like, put them up for sale? Uh, how am I going to keep managing this rent? I lived, it, it wasn't great. So, I started then getting the catering plates. The catering, after the funeral, people, there was all kinds of triangular sandwiches, all kinds of little desserts, um, rolls of lunch meat, like ham and salamis and all that kind of stuff. So I just like simply had no shame just can I take these home to the funeral managers because obviously the families are preoccupied they don't they didn't want all the trays or some families wanted trays some families didn't care for it so I would take trays of the food home and me and Dex would would eat the lunch meat and some of the sandwiches cat food was only like 50 cents a can that's easy to manage but it was more feeding this 120 pound dog and myself, like, a, like a, at the time also probably like 220 pounds. Um, we, could, we needed a lot of base calories. So here we are just eating triangular sandwiches, living in this basement, like getting pretty low. And this descent, it, the velocity of this descent is increasing. Uh, the phone is shutting off because the bill, the phone payments aren't being made. Trying to do deals with Rogers to like extend it one more week, and then it all kind of accumulated on one of the one of the days. So I'm at the funeral, the 1 p.m. funeral. The family's staying for a long time, like a few hours. They're just chatting and chatting. And then it's, I was there a lot longer than we usually had to stay. And the, the manager had to, to leave. So he said, can you kind of help um, take care of the casket, take care of the deceased? Uh, I'll show you a little bit of what to do and, and then kind of lock up. So 
after everybody leaves, I'm in this funeral home by myself. I'm moving the casket into the refrigerated area where everybody is kind of stored. And because of the cold and the glue in the caskets, you have to remove the person from the casket and so that the casket's not stored in the fridge. So then I move the body, the person, onto this cold metal tray. You cover them in a white Ikea sheet. I remember this very vividly with the Ikea label sticking out by the, by the, by the bottom. And then you put a little tag identifying who it is. And then you're either placing them beside four or five other people on the, on the one side of the wall of the fridge, or you're putting them onto this, like it's a stack of, of uh, everyone is stacked on top of each other. This place was wild. This place blew my mind. So here I am sitting in this, standing in this 30 by 15 foot room, freezing, unloading the deceased and looking at the other deceased who are, who are either there and waiting for burial services, waiting for funding for burial services, waiting for next of kin to be contacted, a number of things. You know, and, and at that place, that was also a place of peace. That moment was a bottom rock. I had been sweating and losing sleep and trying to figure out how am I going to do this? What am I going to be doing? And obviously I'm sitting there alive and vital. I'm in this place where I have opportunity or I can do something different. And I had been determined and I had been crystal clear and focused on what I wanted to do. I had a goal and I had been trying what I thought was my hardest every day. And I had been a bit rigid though in what I thought I needed to do. And so because I was taking the, the educational things that I learned of how to build business and build up clientele in Toronto, in, in the Yorkville club. And I was trying to translate that same thing into Vancouver, but I was too stubborn on it. And so here I am in this place with these people. And the moment of clarity, that bottom rock, that gave me the inspiration to optimize this life. I didn't like the cold. I certainly didn't like a cold metal pan that I would eventually at some point be on. I didn't like being that close to strangers. And I certainly hate, that is a very particular word here, Ikea over consumerism, large box stores, just buying junk, cheap, easy to use, but hard to build 
furniture for the house. I hated Ikea and I placed this Ikea sheet over this person and I thought fuck this and for the next few weeks I use that determination. If this is where I'm going to end up, no matter how I live my life, no matter how poor I end up, no matter how wealthy I end up, no matter what kind of a family I'm able to develop, whatever I do, whatever I die from, I end up here. And I took that information and I did, I just had to listen. I, I went out into the coffee shops, I went into the bakeries, and I listened to the people around me. The next month, I got to 21 people. The next month after that, I got to 89 clients. The next month after that, I got to 123. And now, years later, I'm at over 3,500 people on the client roster. And, I, and it was because I, I stopped and I was on that bottom rock and I used the inspiration and determination, but then I also used the surrender to be able to listen and say, hey, what do I need to do to make myself better? What do I need to do to connect with these people? And I was able to then do that. So this message to other people who are really trying to fix that relationship really trying to make that new job work, trying to get through that education that you might be failing over and over again, which is a story for another episode, really trying to really push your values of wanting to do one thing and only in the plan that you had, we cannot predict anything. We can only just adapt and evolve and take that next step. Thank you. This is The Bottom Rock.